Well, good morning. I want to add my own welcome to that which others have shared with you already today now that we are formally and officially in the season of summer. June 21st is the summer solstice, and if you walked outside this morning, as obviously you did, by golly, it feels like summer. Uh, not only those of you who are here in this room, but those who are joining us online today, we're excited to gather with you for worship today. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we do believe that your dwelling place is lovely. Not only this room in this building, in this part of town, in this state, in this country, but we also recognize that your dwelling place to which we all ultimately will go one day is beautiful. Prepare us even today for the ultimate eventuality of celebrating in your presence. Through Christ our Lord we pray, amen. We're continuing today this series of messages that we call Quest. If you've been a part of this community of faith for any part of 2022, you know that uh, this is what we've been doing. We started back in January. We've worked our way through. We are near the end of the Old Testament section of this. We're still in the season of exile. You know, the, the, prior to the pandemic, the average worship attendance in America was 1.6 times a month. So the pandemic kind of cratered that. So as I was thinking about this series that we are a part of, it, it occurred to me that you've probably been able to pick up the big themes that we've been following through the year, even if you've only been here 1.6 times a month. Now, obviously, our hopeful expectation is that you are drawing ever closer to Christ and that your worship participation is at a higher percentage than that. But we're in this period of the history of the people of Israel that we call exile because it is during this period of time that the prophets that we have read, the Old Testament histories that we have read, are dealing with the people who have been deported from Israel, from the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, from Jerusalem to the nation of Babylon. They are in exile. They are in a land that is not their own. Think about it this way. Suppose you had to leave Atlanta and go to another place. It's not your choice. You were forced to do this. In this other place to which you have gone, there is no varsity. They don't eat grits. Instead of saying, y'all, maybe they say something like, you guys? Sorry, Bill. Or, there's no Chick-fil-A. The culture is totally different from what you have known, what you have experienced, what you're comfortable with. The language is different. The cultures are different. Everything is different to the point that you just feel like you don't belong. Have you ever felt like you didn't belong? Think about holiday meals. Most of us have this romanticized expectation and image of the Norman Rockwell Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner where everyone is happy and sits down and has a good time. But maybe that's not your experience. Maybe your experience is that the family gets together and it turns into more of a brawl than a celebration time. 
You just feel like you don't fit because the expectations don't match up with the experience. Maybe you are one of those who one day walked into the cafeteria in middle school, stood there with your tray and looked around and thought, who, who, who am I going to sit with? Who's going to sit with me? You sat in that cafeteria feeling isolated and lonely. You didn't fit in. Maybe you've been part of a group at some point in time. Maybe you're one of the folks that played in a band, and as much as you love the music and the camaraderie, you just couldn't get in step and in beat and in tune with everyone else. You felt like you didn't fit in, or, or maybe you were one of the ones, and this was me in uh, elementary school, middle school, and high school who was on the sidelines. You were the last one who was chosen for a team. Nobody wanted you on that team. Not so much in exile, but you just feel like you don't fit in. Friends, I think that the Christian church in America today is experiencing an exile. The culture around us does not reflect the values of the historic Judeo-Christian tradition. And if you're like me, when you watch the news, when you, I'm old school, I still have an AJC thrown in my driveway every morning, when you read the paper, you think, what is this world in which I am living? It's not easy to be a follower of Jesus. And this was the experience of the people of Israel, the Jewish faithful who were trying to live out their faith in Babylon. They were trying to hold on to their core convictions of belief. And the culture around them did not speak the language, worshipped other gods, did not encourage and support their convictions. If you are a follower of Jesus today, The values of the culture that surround us do not encourage you to live out your faith. Now, to put this in context in the book of Daniel, which we're reading this week, let me just give you a very simple uh, thumbnail outline of the book of Daniel. The first chapter begins just identifying the Jews who are in Babylon, who are in exile. They define a few of them, Daniel being one of them, three others who are later named Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. It is simply to set up the story of the Jews living in exile in Babylon. The second chapter kind of unpacks this. We see that Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. Daniel and his friends, uh, it's unpacked in the first chapter, are identified as leaders, and Daniel even more so. He has the gift of being able to understand and interpret dreams, so he goes to the king who has had a dream and is about to execute all of his astrologers and wise men, and Daniel steps in, interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and saves everyone's lives. In the third chapter, we see that great story of Nebuchadnezzar setting up this gigantic idol to which he wants everyone to bow down and worship. And the three friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refuse to bow down to this idol. And so 
because of that, they are thrown into this incredibly superheated furnace. I, I grilled yesterday on my big green egg in the backyard. And how many of you all have a big green egg? You are of the elect. One of the tricks with an egg is you want to get it to a certain heat, but you don't want it to get overly hot because then if you do, when you open it, you have to, they call it burp it. And I got distracted inside the house, and when I came out, the thermometer on that big green egg was all the way around to about 700 degrees. And I stood there and thought, I'm not going to have to shave my arms tomorrow. So I stood back and I burped it a few times before I finally was able to open it. This furnace that these three men were thrown into because they refused to bow down to a God, little g God, because they gave their hearts, their lives, and their souls to God, big g God. The culture expected one thing, the Lord who gave them life, expected something else. They were thrown into the fiery furnace, but they were not incinerated. In fact, when the king looked in, there was someone else in the furnace with them. They came out, others were thrown in and were burned up. Skipped over chapter 4 as we read our way through Daniel this year. We get to um, chapter 5, which deals with Belshazzar, who is the new king. Nebuchadnezzar has has, uh, gone his way. This is that great story of the hand writing on the wall. Most of you have said at one time or another, if only the Lord would speak to me, and and if I could just see the, the writing on the wall. Do you understand that the only time in biblical history that writing on the wall occurred, it was bad news. You really don't want bad news. You don't want writing on the wall. And then in chapter 6 is the other very familiar chapter, the other very familiar story in the book of Daniel, which is Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. At the end of that chapter, at the end of that passage, we come to the text that we're looking at today, which is Daniel 6, verses 16 through 23. So up on the screens, if you have your own Bible, uh, pull it out, open it up. Uh, I'm going to point something out along the way. If you do, we gave you Bibles this year. and We've encouraged you to bring them with you. If you do so, great. If not, let me encourage you to do that because from time to time in the sermons, we're going to point things out to you that you may want to scribble. It is not a sin to write in your Bible. So listen with me to Daniel 6, beginning with verse 16. The king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. Now, continually there, that's one of those words. If you've got your Bible, underline it, circle it, highlight it. I'm going to point that out again in a moment. May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, there's that word again, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. They haven't hurt me, 
because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. When Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Now, the the setup to this story is this. Daniel has been elevated in Babylon, similar to the way Joseph was elevated in Egypt, if you remember that story from Genesis. Despite the fact that he is a foreigner, he has arisen. He is one of the three most powerful people in the country next to the king. So there's the king, these three administrators, Daniel and two other men, and then 120 other satraps who were functionally regional governors of the people. Because Daniel is different, the other administrators and satraps don't like him, and they want to get rid of him. But they can't find any way to bring a criminal charge against him because he is just as pure as a driven snow. They cannot find any way to bring any political charge against him because he serves, even though it is a foreign nation, he serves the nation with excellence. So they go to the king, and they get the king to craft a religious decree that functionally says anyone over the next 30 days that prays to any god other than the king will be thrown to the lions. Because Daniel is different, they're prejudiced against him, and they concoct this means. And Daniel, rather than caving to the culture, while he is caught between the law of man that says you cannot pray to anyone other than the king, they thought the king was a god, and the law of God that says there is one God, Yahweh, and you must worship him alone. Daniel's caught between the law of God and the law of man. What do you do when you're caught between a rock and a hard place, between competing expectations and cultures? What do you do? So Daniel, if you read the story in chapter 6, does what he always does. He goes to his room, he opens the windows, he faces Jerusalem, and he kneels down and prays. Now they know that he's going to do this, and so they're watching for him to do it so they can catch him, and that's what brings them to bring him before the king, and the law has been established, and there is nothing that he can do. There's nothing that the king can do because the law is established and he has to uphold the law. So Daniel has to be thrown into the den of lions. What does he do? He could avoid that. He could avoid trouble. He could avoid hardship. And he could just keep the windows closed. And he could just not kneel before, towards Jerusalem and pray. This was the practice of the Jewish people in Babylon. But he maintains the practice that he's continually followed. That's that word in verses 16 and 20. That word pops up continually. May your God whom you serve continually. Has God whom you serve continually saved you? What do you do 
that keeps you moving forward. The prayers of Daniel were not something that he suddenly realized, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble, I need to pray. This was not a, a, a solitary, solitary moment. This was not an occasional thing for him. This was not his attempt to find a quick fix. This was what Daniel did continually. What do you do that establishes your relationship with a living God that enables you, even in the midst of an exilic experience, to live faithfully as a follower of Jesus. All of us have things that drive us to our knees. What are yours? What are yours today? There have been times along the way when you felt like your career was just not going the way you thought it should, that you wanted it to, that you hoped it would, and you found yourself asking questions and being absolutely driven to your knees. Maybe as a student, you found yourself thinking, what am I doing here? Why am I taking this class? How in the world am I supposed to study this particular topic? How can I get ready for this? I don't like this. You felt like you didn't belong and you were driven to your knees. Too many people go in for the routine physical and the doctor clears their throat and says, we need to run another test. And they get results that absolutely drive them to their knees. Or maybe his finances. You ever been there when there was more month than there was money and you just don't know what to do, how to make it? Have you ever been in a circle of friends and discovered somehow, some way, for some reason, suddenly you were no longer a part of that circle? You were no longer appreciated, valued, or wanted. Or maybe it was a relationship. Whether it was a family relationship or your desire or pursuit of a romantic relationship and things just absolutely went sour. You're not exiled, but it feels like exile. You feel isolated, alone, misunderstood. When you're caught between a rock and a hard place, what do you do? Like here was Daniel caught between the restrictive rules of people that inhibited his ability to live out the core convictions of his faith and the ravenous mouths of the lions who were just trying to do what they were designed to do. Daniel is either going to cave his convictions and not pray to God or he's going to be thrown into the lion's den and be eaten alive. What does he do? He goes to his knees. He practices what is his continuous experience in living out his relationship with the living God. About a year ago, I was at my in-law's lake house, and um, 
I have now, actually Lib and I, have become the kind of the caretakers for this lake house. And so whenever we go there, we do a tremendous amount of work. And I was cutting down and cutting up some trees and hauling them off. And I obviously did so in such a way, this was July last year, that, uh, boy, I did something to my back that I wish I hadn't done. And uh, I came home, and I am wired in such a way that, you know, my mentality is spit on it, rub dirt in it, and get back in the game. And that didn't work. And finally, I reached out to uh, Steve Ray, uh, and Steve said, come in, let me look at you. I looked at it. He looked at me, uh, did an MRI, came in, said, yeah, you got a bulging disc. He said, this isn't going to need surgery. But uh, he said, Chuck, see if you can get an inversion table. So I got an inversion table. It looks something like this. Now, here's any of you ever been on one? Oh, it feels so good. Here's the thing about inversion tables. It's not that you get on it when your back hurts and you hang, as I say to live, I'm going to go vampire. Uh, it's not that you hang upside down for a day and a half. The trick with the inversion table is consistency and frequency. So I get on this thing for just four or five minutes, once or twice a day, all the time. And my back is not hurting. It's something I do continuously that provides health. Now, the other way of thinking about this, particularly in a spiritual sense, is we think about what it was that Daniel was, Daniel was doing continuously that you and I need to do. The, the best illustration that has come out in about the last 40 years is this. Wax on, wax off. If you haven't seen the movie, your spiritual life is deformed. You need to invest just a couple of hours of your life and watch The Karate Kid, where Mr. Miyagi teaches Daniel karate by having him wax his cars, sand the deck, paint the fence, and paint the wall. And in doing all of this, Daniel learns karate. And so it is for you and me that when we continuously dial in and dig into our spiritual lives, when we carve out that time on a daily basis to read scripture, to pray, not only to give voice to our concerns, but also having read scripture to listen to what God is saying to us through his word, that our souls are formed so that when we are caught between this and that, we can still pursue. Realize that the law was established. Daniel went and prayed. It was an act of civil disobedience. He knew exactly what he was doing, but he was unwilling not to do it. He knew that if he prayed, he would be caught and he would be thrown into the lion's den. He prayed and realized that he was thrown into the lion's den. God didn't prevent that from happening. It happened nonetheless. Still, Daniel was rescued. And he was rescued because of his continuous practice in living out a relationship to God.
1978-1979, I was a college student. I was on spring break, uh, went home for a few days, secured my job for the summer, and then drove over to Hot Springs to visit my brother and, and his wife. And my brother said, hey, uh, some friends and I are going to go um, canoe the Washita River. You want to go with us? I said, sure. So a couple of days later, we got in these canoes and we started going down the Washita River. And at points along the way, we, uh, you know, navigated rapids. And Hunter, my brother, and I discovered along the way that we had different opinions of what we were doing on the river than the other guys. They were more interested in drinking carbonated grain beverages, um, and we were interested in canoeing the river. We ate lunch, uh, you know, pulled over, ate lunch, everybody together, and then we pushed out. And Hunter and I had kind of been leading the way most of the way, but another canoe had gotten in front of us. And um, we came up to a series of rapids. And I was in the front of the canoe, and Hunter was in the back. And he said, let's watch these guys go through the rapids. So we watched them go through, and long story short, they swamped. Everything in the canoe went everywhere. Interestingly, they swam after the cooler, not after the paddles or the canoe. And um, we just kind of held back in the eddy until we saw that they were okay. And he said, okay, let's do what they did, except when we get to that one point at that boulder, there was one large boulder that was really creating a lot of white water. He said, let's do this instead of that. I said, great. So we go in, we're charging, we're trying to make this maneuver around this boulder. When the current grabs us, slams us into the boulder, I reached out to try and put my hand on it, but the, the current popped the canoe in such a way that I was pulled out from it. And the next thing I knew, we were going through the rapids backwards. And we didn't take on a drop of water. And, and we got through the rapids backwards, and Hunter said, let's turn around and, and go over to the shore for a minute. And, and so we go over there, and we just kind of sat still for a minute, and he said, did you pray? I said, yeah, but it was so fast, Hunter. I only had time to yell number eight. <laughs> he said, what's, what's number eight? I said, number eight is the international prayer of distress. He said, how's it go? I said, help! Now, that's a joke. <laughs> but it worked. But it worked because it was a prayer that I offered in the context of, of a continuous relationship with a living God. We went through the rapids backwards, which was not what we had planned to do. But we went through the rapids okay. You may be in a, a point of feeling like you're in an exile right now. Relationally, professionally, whatever. You can get through it. You may still be thrown into the lion's den or, or go through the rapids backwards. But God will rescue you if you continually live in relationship with him. Just set that time aside every day and let him, through the radical trust that Daniel exhibited, establish that trust for you so that he can work in and through you. Let's pray together. 
Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, may you settle your spirit into each person today. Help us to realize that you love us, that you have redeemed us in Jesus, and that you call us to live out a radical trust in relationship to you, not sporadically or occasionally, or 1.6 times a month, but continuously. Create in us each the hunger and the courage to live our lives for you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen.